What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. As always, I'm always thinking about music, and I'm lucky enough to have Allah Mira on the show. Welcome. Uh, welcome. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you for having How me. Are you? And, yeah. <laughs> no, so we were kind of talking before we got on air, and one of the things that you mentioned is that you grew up in North Siberia. And to my knowledge, that's a very rural part of Russia. And I've, I watched a documentary with Herg, Herg Morzov. I think that's some German filmmaker. And it's called Happy People. So that's the image of that that I have. Like this, this amazing tight-knit communities. Um, and, and I'm wondering, is that completely bullshit? Or I'm, I'm hoping you can set the record straight for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I definitely have experienced that northern communities are far tighter because I, I was born in Yakutsk, which is north, northern Siberia. And then when I was 10, my parents relocated to mid-Siberia, which mm -hmm. was a little bit less cold, but still Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can definitely attest to differences. Um, I felt far more at home um, in a place where I was born. Um, when it comes to happy people, um, I'm not sure if, if you could say that really about the entire community. Well, first of all, the climate is very harsh. Yes. Um, I'm not sure if I was ever happy going to school during the winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's that's some pretty serious cold that you guys are. That's the that's the boreal forest, correct? Um, well, we, we were, we did have some forests, but it m was mostly, um, uh, like a mountain area for us. Um, and, and it, there's not as much like a boreal forest that like you mean, like no vegetation and everything is pretty much like barren. No, it's, it's like, there's a bunch of trees, but they're kind of, um, really small trees, like really small spruce trees i don't know if demarco is going to pull this up I, I, i'm pretty sure the boreal forest is in siberia but again it's been a while i'm not the best at geography oh so the boreal forest is it's in russia it's most of russia technically but it's like um kind of like west what western canada is like northwestern canada so like long like luke uh rick was saying like not terribly big like spruce trees or fir trees with like bogs and like wetlands and ferns kind of mixed in yeah uh yeah not exactly i think it's mostly to the center of us because again i was born in far east uh we we do have pretty like pretty lush forests uh, over there uh and also some mountains um but uh, uh but yeah i mean we are kind of the coldest city on earth uh, it's even like the advertising. Oh, come study in the coldest city on earth. You'll love it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's primarily because there is nothing of that size northern than we are. Okay. Um, they're just smaller kind of. Yep. I found a little bit more uh, specific information. So it's it's across Canada and Europe and Asia. It's anything between the 50, uh, 50 degrees north and 70 degrees north is considered a regional uh, variation of the boreal forest of the taiga or taiga. I'm not I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Ta that correctly. It's the taiga. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is that's that's fat. I mean, well, now I got to ask, are there any tigers where you're from? 
Um, not where I'm from, but uh, there is a type of a tiger that does live in taiga. Yeah, the, the Siberian tigers, man. That is, this is, this is. I was not expecting to start. I'm pumped right now. This is, uh, this is amazing. I've never. You're the first Siberian person I've ever spoken to. I couldn't be more jacked. This is awesome. So, what, what's the population of the city that you're from? Um, I don't remember the exact numbers. Uh, maybe uh, John, you'd need to run this for me. Um, but um, it's kind of like a smaller city. Okay. Um, it's hard to come like it's definitely not comparable to Toronto or anywhere I've been. Mm. And no, no worries on that one. He'll he'll find it. But um, I mean, oh, I found it. It's uh, tw- the last the last census they have is twenty eighteen. It was three hundred and eleven thousand. Uh, says it's the sixty eighth city in, uh, in Russia. Sixty eighth largest city in Russia. In the top 100, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> um, but so why and how long did you live in Siberia for? And why Why did you, how did you find your way over to Toronto? Uh, so I lived in Siberia pretty much ever since I was born. I lived in northern Siberia until I was 10. And okay. um, my parents kind of, like reason why they moved that far north is because um, like the pay more is more the northern you get because it's considered to be like a hostile environment. So people have like earlier pensions and the pay is a little bit more than you would get like in the mid Siberia. Um, so and benefits were better. They used to be better. Um, but like at around when I was 10, um, my parents decided to move closer to civilization, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they would have more options. Uh, and we moved to mid-Siberia, which is Novosibirsk, which is very different climate. Um, the winters are not as cold because in Yakutsk, it got to minus 60 easily in the winter. And it's like, yeah. And with humidity, yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, screw you. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm not about that life. My black ass would freeze to death for sure. Like, There's, there's no way. Yeah. Well, no one will be able to tell people apart there anyway because everyone looks like a little bear. Like everyone is <laughs> so wrapped in the fur. Like yeah, children look like little bears like when they like with their scarves and everything, you know, made of fur. It's kind of funny. Um yeah. Um yeah, so and uh, when we moved to mid Siberia, we lived there for another 4 years. Um Four to five years before we migrated to to Ottawa first, and then Toronto and Canada. And what what was the reason for your parents immigrating? Uh, well, I guess it's it's very standard immigrant story. Um, like the living circumstances and options that you can have as a poor person in Russia are really limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of wanted a better future for us, for me and my brother. And uh, they went for professional immigration. They're both engineers. Um, it was a very long process, too. It took, like, almost six years. Um, but, yeah, we're finally here. And I've been here for, like, almost 10 years by now. Yeah. Yeah, that's – well, that's um, – that's, we're happy to have you. For sure. Well, Canada's happy. To, I can't – because you're not an American. But I, I love talking to you. So I'm sure they're happy to have you up there. They're nicer than we are anyways. But um, one of the things that – I wanted to kind of get into was 
I know you're an amazing musician. And during this time, like you've, you've always like, what kind of drew you into music and what instrument did you start out with? Hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, and secondly, I mean, I was kind of doing music since I was six. Um, in Russia, every kid starts with some kind of edu artistic education this that you know just so that they can be occupied something after school so yeah you choose music or visual art whatever you want to do we have like secondary schools that have almost the same number of classes as main school would have but art are like art oriented um i started when i was six i started with piano um until grade three i thought that piano will be my main focus uh, instrument. Uh, but then I guess when I immigrated to mid Siberia, I had a very bad teacher and mm -hmm. she just completely turned me away from piano. And I'm like, no, I want to switch to something else. I want to do something else. Um, and this is when I switched to vocals. Um, and okay. in operatic vocals ever since then. So yeah, I guess my first instrument is piano, but I play more than one instrument. I play bass, I play cello, I play synthesizer. And I sing. So, and, and every time I'm trying to learn something new. Oh, that's so cool. I don't have a musical bone in my body. So I'm pretty envious of that. Like that's, that's it. Does it run in your family? Does, is everyone in your family musical? Uh, not everyone. My mom finished music school in Russia. They got the same standard six years of education. Um, so she plays piano. Um, and uh, she also plays a bit of a guitar, so she sometimes like writes songs. But it's it's mostly like for herself. It's it's not for performance. Um, I think my dad started music school but never finished it. Um, other than that, I I don't know anyone else who was musically inclined. You got the gene. You got lucky. That's <laughs> awesome. So so your first you 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 started getting into vocals. And you were drawn to opera. And did you sing in any operas when you're in Russia? And then, then also when you were in Canada? Um, I didn't sing in any operas um, because like the education path in Russia is like, it's pretty set. Like it's, it's set very firmly. You start as a kid in music school. After you're done with music school, you go to conservatory and then you can start engaging in more or less like adult activities like opera or teaching or anything like that. Um, kids, kids do perform, but it's mostly choral arrangements, some solo stuff. I never signed any opera back in Russia. Here, um, I took some university courses where I did sing excerpts from operas, mm -hmm. but uh, I was never in any like theatrical productions or anything. One thing I'm kind of curious about is, do you prefer the Russian like educational system? Because it seems very like from the outside looking in, like we had like music class and it seems like you guys have much more, a much more comprehensive focus on the arts. And, and I mean, am I wrong? Am I kind of reading that wrong? Um, it's kind of yes and no. Um, we do have much more focus on their arts, but it almost feels like this focus exists just to give kids something else to do it because in Russia, everyone, knows that music career is pretty much non-existent. You finish music school, you finish conservatory, you go and become a teacher. 
Um, so no one is, is having those like global dreams to become a musician because it's just impossible and everyone knows that. And people will make fun of you if you want to become a musician and do something else with your life. <laughs> oh my also, God. <laughs> also because music is so competitive, there are just so many people finishing music school that like if you want to be in like a national theater, like there's millions of people who are going to be competing against you. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like in Russia, I really, I never really done music for fun. If it makes any sense, it's, it was always just like a part of something that you have to learn, something that you have to know, something you have to be good at. But mm-hmm. like in Canada, it was far more like I, I received far more enjoyment from doing anything artistic than I ever did in Russia. Now, is everyone does everyone have to go to music school, though? No, um, not everyone. It's just like people. I mean, parents kind of go crazy there if their kid is home after 3 p.m. So they're trying to send them off to do something. <laughs> it can be sports school. Like if the kid is sports inclined, it can be mass circle or something, something like that. But for creative kids, the choice is usually music school or art school. Like almost every second person I know went to some kind of artistic school in Russia. And then this is all these are all programs set up for when you're a little kid, right? Like an, an extra school after you've gone from seven to three or whatever, seven to two thirty, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's that's definitely not a system to my knowledge that we have. In the, and this is all paid for by the state, correct? Oh, no, Russia never pays for anything. We don't have any social <laughs> programs. Like, you know, it's just, it's something that parents pay for. Okay. But, okay. but it's very cheap because no one treats music careers seriously in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are hard people. I, I love it. I, um, that's okay. That's good. I was, because I, I, for some reason, thought that this was a state i'm glad i asked i thought it was like state sponsored like this is just extra and i was like shit man that's intense but um still that's awesome that that, that so many people are involved in it um but we have i guess we have we have pretty similar programs in america as well and and i'm assuming in canada as well too so that's uh so so back to the story so you you move over here. Um, did you live anywhere else before you immigrated to Canada? Um, no, it's pretty much straight from Russia to Canada. Okay. And was there like, how, did you, did you already know English or is this something you had to learn as soon as you got into uh, Canada? Um, I was learning both English and French uh, in Russian school. Um, but it definitely was not enough. And especially that like we've learned UK version of English. It was kind of useless here when I came here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, slang is all local and even Canadian like slang, I guess, is different from American and how people speak. So it definitely even creates even more emphasis on you're not from here kind of deal. Um, yeah. But actually, when I came to Canada, I spoke French better than English because I had a better French teacher than English teacher. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it was interesting transition because we started in Ottawa, where both languages spoken equally, pretty much. Um, I mean, definitely emphasis is on English, but it's sort of a kind of capital of Canada. Mm-hmm. So both languages given equal attention, like in media and stuff. Um so I really tried getting more into the French, but again, because everyone spoke Russian or English at home, it was kind of tough 
Um, and eventually my French completely dissipated. <laughs> I I can't speak French at this point. And but uh, Toronto isn't that a pretty large French speaking city? Oh no, uh, Toronto. There's no one that speaks French really, except folks from Quebec mm-hmm. that also switch more to English than French. Um, in Canada, Montreal um, is pretty much the French-speaking, the, the capital of a French-speaking side, I guess. That's right. I, thank you. That's right. That's. Uh, what, I mean, which which city is better, Toronto or or Montreal, in your opinion? Um, for artistic reasons, Montreal is has so much more character than Toronto currently. Mm-hmm. But that's because I heard um, over time. Basically, Toronto Entertainment District was kind of gradually destroyed by condo development projects. Mm. So we have so many venues closed, and they were like really iconic and historical for Toronto. And now condos are in place of those venues. Um, yeah, sorry to hear. Yeah, um, in in Montreal, it feels like venues and the creative ventures have just a bit more. They're just a bit more sustainable. Um, but as far as I know, they have similar stories with like venues closing right now. So I'm not actually sure what's going to happen after pandemic, but I always thought that Montreal is, is far better for creative things than Toronto is. Okay. This is, and, and yeah, and being a creative person, you know, that's something that you'd be drawn to. So when, what is one of the things I like to ask anybody that's an artist is like, what is your creative process? Like, how are you able to create is this something that do you have a system is it just kind of freestyle free flowing i mean i'm I'm very interested in everyone's creative process mm-hmm. um i don't really have a system per se but a lot of my creative projects they're first and foremost storytelling projects um like i am interested to tell a story with my music or with my art or with a combination of two um or with games um if if i'm getting into the game territory and developing something so first and foremost i guess i want to tell a story and make the viewer or the user feel a certain way um sometimes i succeed sometimes i don't but the process itself has a lot of similarities with writing for me um, creative writing, I guess. Yeah. Do you do a lot of creative writing? Uh, I actually don't. I, I wrote one book of stories at some point. Um, but actually when I came to Canada, my English wasn't that great. And that was like, I had a lot of insecurities over releasing anything in English, um, because it just always seemed subpar to me. You know, improper mm-hmm. grammar and mistakes and everything. It kind of like gives away right away that you're an immigrant. And that's sort of not what I wanted. I wanted to kind of tell a story instead of drawing attention to my weird style or way of saying things. So I guess in that sense, that's why music and visual art and game development, they gradually replaced um, the same uh, things I wanted to accomplish with creative writing. Because, you know, when you draw a picture, no one can tell, oh, your grammar sucks. So that's it's kind of much more ambiguous form of art. Or when you do music, you know, people can say, oh, you know, this this person clearly doesn't have mastery of the language or something like this. Because it's kind of, it's much more open to interpretation. Yes. Yes, I, I definitely understand. But I mean, to me, your English is very, very great. 
And I think that you've definitely mastered the language. So I I'll always encourage people because I, I do quite a bit of, of writing myself. It's spending non it's honestly mainly um, this, the project I have is this is called the church of the chubby. It's kind of a fitness one. I, I run a bunch of experiments on myself, document my food, document a bunch of shit. But then every Sunday I write a Sunday sermon. It's kind of my reflection of what the lessons that I've learned this week and I, it's, it's, it's kind of therapeutic for me in a sense, because it, it, it keeps track, it helps me keep track of the mistakes I've made, the lessons I've learned. And I always try and wrap it into something that's kind of inspirational or some, some, something that someone can learn from me from anyone that reads this little blog. And um, <clears throat> I think that, and I encourage you to write and, and to be an artist, but definitely I think it's important to write your thoughts down and, and share them. Maybe even if you're not, cause I mean, when it comes to, to grammar, I have editors. Um, and, but that, that held me back from writing and, and sharing some of my ideas for the longest time. It's like, Oh man, I just don't want to make a typo. But eventually you kind of get to the point where you're like, so the fuck what? Like I'll learn, like I'll get better. Right. But so I would definitely, I mean, as a creative person, I definitely would encourage you to, especially if you're writing short stories. That's pretty cool. You should Thank you. try and tap into that. Hey, no problem. You should try and tap into that more. See what that leads. Uh, Maybe so, the next. So for you and for your writing, um, the, like it's it's a very interesting process that you actually just described, that you are kind of keeping almost like a diary of your experiences. Um Yes. Does it become sometimes like um, something that you kind of obsess over or if you're reading all your mistakes on paper, that kind of makes them a little bit worse, wouldn't it? Or or it's completely different for you? So what I do is, so it's, I type it all out, right? And then I upload it to my website. But I, I try and catch all the grammar mistakes that I... I can and I send it off to I have one person that's a grammar Nazi that edits it, but I don't care because if if you if I start to worry about the mistakes, okay, sometimes I don't even edit it. I just I'm in the zone and I am just spewing words. I'm just typing, you know what, 60 words a minute or whatever, just getting the ideas and my feelings and my expressing myself, speaking my truth. I want to get it there on the document so I don't lose it. Because I know as an artist, I know you've experienced this where you have, you can tap into the divine, right? That that frequency where everything is so clear to you and you're not, it's effortless, effortless. Like everything that you're doing, everything that you're writing is just effortless. And if one thing happens and it's derailed, you might not get back there again. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes I can't, I, if, if I, and if I'm worried about the mistakes I'm making, I won't get back there. And then I'm just like, fuck, you know? So I, that's, I learned a long time ago just to let go of the mistakes or any, anything that I think might happen. And my, and then I need to tr trust my editor that he'll catch those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's been very, that's kind of my creative process. Um, and uh, I mean, if I'm if nothing's coming to me, 
when I'm writing, I'll just start typing like the first thing that pops into my head. Like, I don't know, for example, like if maybe I'm, if I'm not in a good mood, I'll be like, everything is shitty. Why is it shitty? Well, because this, this, and this. Okay, well, what's the lesson there? Oh, well, it's this lesson. How would you have done that? And then, and then I'm rolling, right? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Thanks for describing your process. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. That's. I mean, I don't have too many artistic, but yeah, there's. I mean, I guess you're right. Everything. I mean, I think for me, um, I try not to. Like, I, I'm a big goal setter. But if you're always setting goals, you're always in a, and you're not, maybe not hitting them or whatever, you're in like a perpetual cycle of failure. And so what I've been trying to do these past few years is develop a system. I need to develop a system. So like, I know the first 27 years of my life, I wasn't super happy or super productive, but that's because I wasn't as physically active as I needed to be. So I, I fixed that. And then once, once I fixed that, I started looking at other, cause I, I did this little 75 hard challenge and that kind of showed me w- what I was capable of. And then I was like, well, what else could I do? And how else could I take the lessons that I'd learned from that challenge and apply them to other areas of my life? And that's how we have. So <clears throat> the 75 art, just, I don't know if you're familiar. Do you know what the 75 art is? No, actually not. Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so I'll explain that real quick. Um, you have to, it's, it's 75 days and you have to exercise two times a day. Each workout must be 45 minutes. One workout must be outside. You must drink a gallon of water a day, read 10 pages of a nonfiction book each day. You need to take a progress photo each day and you have to pick a diet and stick to it. You do that. And if you fail, then you start back at day zero or day one. And so I've done two of those. I did one by myself. That one sucked. And then I did another one with a but one of my best friends, Andrew, who's been on the podcast before. And, um, and through that challenge, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the excuses that I would make to not better myself. I learned to silence those little voices that keep you from reaching your potential. And that's a, that's a battle that you fight every single day, right? But this just kind of, for me, just helped me realize, like, no matter what, like, I'm going to get all these tasks done. And it was big for me. And I'm, I'm glad I did it. Don't know if I ever want to do it again, but I'm... <laughs> I'm glad I did it. Right. Like it, that, that, that opened the door, opened the door for me to be more creative for me to take this podcast seriously, to listen to the people that are around me that, you know, had ideas talking to you about you, DeMarco, about how to make it better, how to, how to implement processes, um, how to take my dream and, kind of share. Cause all I want to do is help people. I mean, the reason this podcast exists is I just, I don't know. It's for, it's mainly for me because I like talking to interesting people such as you. And I like talking to all sorts of different people. So I do this to learn and better myself, but I hope that everyone that's following along with me is also getting something from it. 
Wow, that sounds like an interesting program. Um, haven't tried it myself, but I'll definitely look into it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I I should be. I guy should pay me for as much as I talk about that thing. No, <laughs> but it's it's fun. It's hard. It's definitely it's definitely difficult. But um, but that's that's my process. And I mean, when you're writing music or drawing, what are what are some of the things that you're doing? And especially if you're still like, what do you do if you're stuck? Um, well, you mentioned systems and I found that for myself, it also resonated a lot because, um, I pretty much approach everything with systems as well. Um, and if I don't know how to go about something, I'm trying to export a system from a different medium. So for instance, if I'm stuck in music writing the way I know it, I'm trying to throw something else into equation that would change my perspective of the piece that I'm trying to write. Um, same thing really with anything I do. Um, so this way, I guess I never find myself stuck. Um, the main issue for me in my creative process is lack of time. Usually <laughs> that yeah. I would love to do something for longer, but other responsibilities take priority. Like I work full time. So that, that's yes. sometimes. Oh, you're preaching the choir. I, I definitely, I definitely get that. Like it's hard, it's hard, but you know, and time is so precious and, and it's hard because you don't always feel creative when you get off work. Correct. Like, yeah, I, I never do, but it's, it's that, but it's in, and what you, you are a, you're a video game designer, correct? Yeah. Video game designer as well as, as many other things. So what, yeah, well, you want to, would you clarify? Like, so what, what is it like? What's your, is it in computer science programming? Like, no, actually, my first degrees were in English and theater studies. Um, that's, I guess, where my obsession with literature and writing came from. Um, mm -hmm. And then when I was on the last years of my BA, um, my department hired a lot of research study assistants, but they didn't didn't want a lot of editors or writers on staff, which was kind of a little bit hypocritical. They were like, oh, we have websites we need to maintain. We don't have a lot of editing or research positions. Um, so yeah, we need someone to do a website now. Um, and this is how I learned uh, web development for the most part, kind of by myself. Um, but the more I done it, the more I kind of liked it. And I liked how something like web development or developing a database can support other more meaningful projects to me like literary archives or whatnot and this is where my interest in web design and digital media in general um, grew to me switching degrees eventually and my phd my last degree was in digital media um, with okay. focus on video games and digital narratives okay digital narratives that is i think i'm pretty sure i know what that means but i'm kind of a big dummy so do you want to elaborate on that I, uh like, yeah like sure um yeah um digital narratives technically they can take really any form um because it's a very broad um it's a very broad i guess concept of what constitutes a digital narrative uh it it can be anything from what's considered digital literature when you navigate 
options. Like for instance, there's a paragraph of a text and you navigate through your options to explore more of the text, um, which is a very, like it's pretty much a classic example of digital literature. Um, and it evolved over the time to, to uh, mix any other interactive media in it. It can be podcasts with visuals. It can be animated shorts. It can be uh, literally anything that is involves digital media and tells a story. Okay, so like, all right a TikTok or a cooking show, anything like that, that tells a story from like, um, I guess, I guess like some of those guys, a better, a better example, like the f comedians on like TikTok or whatever that are maybe have a skit. That would be a form of digital narratives. Uh, that would be a form of digital narratives. Yes. Uh, but not everything that's shared on social media has a purpose to tell only a story, right? For instance, anything that is selling a product is not exactly, it might it might have digital narrative in itself, but it's not just telling a story for the sake of a story. So they kind of don't count. Okay, good. Well, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm picking up what you're putting down there, but I'm glad I asked you to clarify that because that was, was a good explanation. Um, and so this this became your passion and what what kind of video games have you been working on so far if you can talk about those mm -hmm. yeah um as a uh, as a part of my phd i developed two games uh one of them is called the cat game um which is pretty much like a top down rpg about the cat that investigates the end of the world um, I mean, the cat itself is not really interested in the end of the world. It's just looking for food. But as a player, you kind of experience the apocalypse through the cat's eyes. Um, okay. The second one is called Kadama, which is technically about like the spirits of the forest awakening and taking revenge on content development projects. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and and how how are you design are you programming this like or like how how does this work? You're I have no I'm way I'm way over my skis. This is why I have DeMarco. I just can't do technology. Um uh, yeah, I uh, do have programming skills. Um my day job is essentially a software developer, like a UI engineer mm -hmm. software developer. Um but those games, they kind of involved more than programming. Um, I designed them in RPG Maker, uh, but mm -hmm. with custom plugins that I write in JavaScript. And also everything around the game, like sound, visuals, have, have to be also be done myself. So that's, that's a lot of work. Um, that's why games are very short, because I alone cannot make like 60-hour playtime games it's just like too um too much of a scope yeah guys if you could see my eyes right now they're bulging out of my head because that's insane you, you've got to do the sound the visuals all that stuff and that was like your phd thesis kind of right yeah pretty much it was a part of my phd thesis kind of applied game development that's badass that's so cool. That's a that's a that's a completely new frontier. Are you have you fucked around with like uh, virtual reality or anything of that nature? Are you a fan of that? 
Yeah, actually a little bit. Uh, one of my courses uh, on the PhD program was Future Cinema, which pretty much addressed virtual reality. And as a part of a course, we were designing a mini VR environment. Um, it was very interesting. I, I mean, I guess the one takeaway from that class was that technical limitations are no joke. Um, because in the end, I guess I I made my project very ambitious and pretty much not a single computer could pull it off. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I have to ask this question um, now that we're in this space. Are you familiar with the metaverse? Mm, metaverse? Um... No, actually. Can you can you tell me more about that? Yes. So essentially, I think the metaverse is basically a virtual shared space, and it's created by the convergence of virtually enhanced physical reality and the and it physically per persistent like it pers it's the sum total of all virtual worlds. Basically, there's there's some people that are thinking that it. We'll eventually get to the point where virtual reality becomes indistinguishable, indistinguishable from reality, and I think that's called the metaverse. To Marco, make sure that I'm not wrong on that. But um, I mean, you're kind of working in this space, so do you think that in our lifetime we will see something like that come to fruition? In our lifetime, I I honestly don't think so, for the reason of a technical limitations for sure uh, secondly virtual reality has this really nasty drawback unfortunately most people have motion sickness from it that's because we evolutionary mm -hmm. were not designed to experience anything like virtual reality so when it comes to heights or running in a virtual space like over a third of a population has motion sickness uh, that's just the evolutionary response uh, so, are you talking about the metaverse as it pertains to like Roblox, or because um, the only thing I can find is specifically about Roblox, but it is the same concept that you're talking about. Um, I was going to add, there's a a cryptocurrency called Mana that's uh, Decentraland. That it's this idea that it's building a virtual currency that you can then eventually buy virtual real estate in kind of like a, a it's like an augmented reality kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're talking about metaverse concept as, uh, um, I guess, a sum of virtual goods and estate and property and avatars, or we're talking about it more as of existing in virtual like VR space as avatars running around fictional worlds, or is it like a concept that integrates the two? As I understood it, I think it was, I think it's the first one it's this virtual all these virtual worlds kind of combined combined into one and meshing but they might be so realistic that you can't be able to distinguish from what, what's in the virtual space and what's in reality so now that i've said that i feel like i kind of fucked up we're talking about the second choice so we don't know wh whether we're in the matrix or not but i i would if i was going to guess i would say we get to the what you mentioned first, which is a virtual world where all these virtual worlds have just collided, right? And you could you go over and do Sims over here, and you could go do virtual Halo. Maybe you're playing 
an NBA 2K in a virtual space, and they're all a part of the same world, if that makes sense, which is kind of mm-hmm. dope to think about. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. that I would spend any time in there, but no, I'm sorry. What was that? No, no. Um, I was just kind of agreeing with you over the over the dopeness of different, I guess, virtual spaces colliding. Um, yeah, when it comes to, again, like VR blocks, motion sickness is a big one. But if we're talking the global concept of just a sum of like things like NFTs already doing, you know, you're selling art for an NFT tokens. And this is this is definitely kind of taps into this interesting concept that we usually don't associate with digital space, ephemerality. Like in digital space, mm-hmm. you don't really own anything, right? There's kind of, you duplicate the JPEG and this is JPEG, JPEG that everyone can see on their computers. We don't have the same perishability with digital objects. But now like with NFTs, there's definitely other ways of looking at authenticity and um, you know perishability and replicating something versus proving the authenticity of something so it it becomes very fast very interesting space to look into um when it comes to the digital economies i think we'll definitely we'll see more like the expansion of you know buying digital assets buying digital properties buying digital objects um like i i just feel like nfts probably is is the something that's prodding the road into that direction eventually and for the folks listening that might not understand it nft is a non-fungible token and the way i understand it is it is the original digital not copy but print of something that was made um, in the digital space. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yep, you are correct. Um, basically, it's connected to the uh, to the cryptocurrency Ethereum. And NFT, as far as I understand, is a part of the Ethereum. It's, a, it's essentially a blockchain currency. Um, the token proves authenticity because it's a unique piece of blockchain code. Um, and um, I, I I know it's it's recently a lot in in like artistic spaces when artists upload either their shows or their albums um, and create unique tokens from them and sell them on on the marketplaces like OpenSea. Yep, a lot of people are making a lot of money right now on the NFT game. It's it's a it's a bizarre world that we're living in. Like I mean, NFTs in my opinion, I'm I'm, I'm not in the i'm not in that dark internet web of like on the cutting edge right so i found out the same time everyone else did but i think it's fascinating that these things are blowing up people are making some dude made 65 million dollars selling an nft of i don't remember what it was pull that up demarco that was um that was Oh, I'm just, I can't, I'll find the name, but he's a digital artist, a Beeple, Beeple. He's a digital artist that he does 3D uh, video animations and static images that he had done this project called Every Day, where every day he created a new composition for something like over three or four years. So he had all of these and in total, he sold every single day's creation as an NFT. And in total, he made around $65 million for all of his stuff. Thank you. Um, and it's, it's a wild space. Um, I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm, do you think I'd have to get licensed in digital real estate? <laughs> Just, oh, that's 
I don't know. It's a it's a weird world we live in. I I I know that there's a lot of people talking about digital real estate, and um, maybe I shouldn't say a lot, but it's uh, it's it's something that I follow, uh, something that I pay close attention to because I find that world industry, I find it, the underground world of the internet very very interest interesting, as I'm sure you do. Yeah, same here. I was, I mean, I kind of have this weird fascination with deep web. I never went there myself. Um, but between just reading factual information and listening to horror stories about it, that's like, that's a staple of mine. I have sometimes a dark web phase where like it happens approximately every six months where I just like binge on, on the new information about it. I know I downloaded Tor as well, and I was like, I'm fucking going on there. And my buddy, who's a computer programmer, uh, he, he's like, dude, if you don't know what you're doing, stay the fuck off. And it's like, all right, that's all I needed to know. I'm not doing it. I'm, 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 I'm scared. So I, <laughs> I bailed out. But uh, I definitely wanted to college. I definitely wanted to check out the old Silk Road. Uh, that's for sure. But um, they sh they shut that down. Although I'm sure there's another version of it up um, as we speak. But um, I think that that's another interesting thing. Um, I think that we're in inning one of the internet. And I think the second inning is just now starting off with NFTs. I, I mean, pers personally, I hope that blogs come back into fashion because I have one. But um, I'm, I, I wouldn't see why that. I mean, I think that there's a chance that they might just in the sense that it's your own space and it's something that you pay for your real estate on the internet and you can't get kicked off. That's one of the things that I find kind of scary is the fact that you can get deplatformed even if you're an artist and you're on Patreon or whatever like if they don't agree with what you're doing they can kick you off and they can take away a revenue stream. Um and so I think that in this space, the more you can do it yourself, the more you can self-insulate and, and set up these barracks, especially if you're going to say controversial shit and what isn't controversial nowadays. I think that it's important to have your own system to where you're not reliant on any of these third-party companies. Mm -hmm. That's my, my personal opinion, though. Well, um, I I guess I mean I'm not sure if if really everyone will start moving towards such an independent um basically if 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 folks will really become so independent over their own content because it actually involves a lot of know-how with regards how internet and cybersecurity works. Yes. I was really surprised actually how um how unprotected the code base of Parler was, um, you know, if if you remember that incident over, yes, yeah, the deplatforming of Parler and how Amazon kicked them off their um, hosting services, but but also it kind of made me like very surprised is like how do you have a platform and the code that is so vulnerable? So I think that a lot of folks that have those great ideas over creating platforms or creating their own ventures sometimes are also not immersed into the entire scope of what goes into creating a, a safe, sturdy program. And that is a bit of a disaster in the making. And, and that's that's the cool thing about like these 
this Bitcoin and these X crypt. Um, am I saying this right? Cryptologists? Is, is it that? Is it's the it's, cryptocurrency? Yeah, crypt, no, but the the people that kind of invented the the blockchain were they were cryptologists, Demarco? Cryptographers, right? There's this old old school base of these crazy. And I'm probably painting the wrong picture, but these these crazy anti-government, super privacy advocates that are that became cryptographers because they're like, dude, nothing is secure. Everyone's reading your shit. Um, I mean, I've got a bunch of buddies that are on um, uh, encrypted emails and whatnot. I can't think of the name. Um, I got certain friends that will only text me through signal which but i love signal but dude there's so many bugs in that like it's so many bugs um i even donated to it i was like god you gotta fix this but um i think that that's another it's a big issue that we're going to be running into in in i mean we're already in it but like it's privacy there's so and and shout out to apple because they're and i hate them but they're they're their phones are so much more secure than the, the Androids that I, I run. Mm -hmm. um, actually, have you heard about um, this endeavor by the person who originally invented the internet, that he is attempting internet version two, which enha with enhanced like, privacy, um, privacy pods around your information that you personally responsible for so that no corporations can harvest that and use it. No fucking way. Robert Potter that you're talking about? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think I have it. I'll post it here in a second. Yeah, I so didn't... apparently that's an amazing. I'm not sure how that's going to turn out. Oh, my God, dude. I'm all about this. Internet 2.0. Oh, they're not. I don't think they're getting very far. Sorry. Not at the Pulled moment. Away. I think it was only announced that this is in the works like maybe last year or maybe half a year ago. Yes. Network Mapper is a free open source tool for vulnerability scanning and network discovery network administrator administrators use and map to identify what what devices are running on their systems discovering hosts that are available and services that they offer blah 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 blah, blah, blah. i'll have to dig into this thank you we're gonna have to dig into this because we could be here i could listen i could talk to you all night because we are getting but unfortunately we are out of time i've, I've not heard of the internet 2.0 so I'm, I'm pumped right now. Um, looks like you have to buy it. Oh, shit. I don't... <laughs> IP 53 grand, IP 106K. Um, they're selling it. I don't know what this... Uh, yeah, I don't know what... I don't know what this is. I don't know if it's... Hmm, that's That's kind of odd. Actually, I will send you a link... Like after the live stream with the article that I read uh, about it, so maybe okay. something else. Yes, no, this is fascinating. Whatever, it's, it's, I mean, this sounds like they have their own satellites, and sh I have no clue. I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm not reading everything. I'm just kind of scrolling around and looking at it. But this is very. Oh, he's got. Try those links. That so that first link I sent you is like just about the people that are like the main team that are developing it. But then this is their kind of their white page of what the okay. capabilities of Internet 2.0 would be with uh, encryption and obfuscation, um, it more secure and advanced firewall and uh, more complicated routing. Okay, yeah, advanced firewall, uh, configurable routing, packet blocking, 
advanced encryption. This seems cool. It seems cool. I don't. I mean, I don't have to worry about any of this stuff yet. But I, I like that. I like that this. I like that these problems are starting to be addressed in very creative solutions. So I'm a big fan of that. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. So, is there anything you you know you'd like to? Where can people find you? What 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 albums do you got going out? What's up? Uh, yeah, people can find me on Facebook under Alias Anesthesia. Um, that's the same name that's going to be on the on the podcast. Um, so pretty much my every social handle is you know Facebook, Instagram, Twitter slash Alias Anesthesia. So that's that's fairly simple. Um, what I have in the works currently, I'm releasing an EP. Um, it's called Anhedonia. Uh, in July, end of July this year. Uh, and I also have a silent film uh, score that I'm working on that I'm actually um, offering with the edition of the silent film itself. It's, it's called Haksan. It's a Swedish film from 1922. And it's technically about the history of witchcraft. It's a bit of a documentary essay. Um, recently, on April 30th, I did a live stream um, of Haksan, where I improvised some operatic vocals and some instruments. Um, so basically created kind of like a soundtrack to the film. Uh, and currently I'm actually um, doing a Kickstarter, getting pre-orders for the film itself with the soundtrack. Yeah, if you'd like, I can share a link so you can check it out. Please so do. Seems to be doing well. Awesome. Please do. And I think this is all I have for this year. I'm trying to kind of like not to overload myself with different projects and then struggle delivering them. <laughs> well, I I think you're doing you're doing great things. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, we'll have to have you back again once uh, once that drops, and we got to talk about it. So this is very exciting. Um, uh, and you know what? I can't wait to talk to you again. So you have a great day. And thanks for being a guest on the show. Thank you. And the pleasure, pleasure is definitely mutual. I would love to be here again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Bye, folks. <laughs>